Well, welcome to Campus House. Um, Dave mentioned earlier that we've been anticipating and praying for this day. Uh, I apologize for the heat in this room. Uh, when 400 people get together, our air conditioning can't keep up. And so we're, we're trying to fix that. We've had them out several times over the last couple of weeks. And so thank you for bearing with us in that. Um, hopefully the the weather will change soon. <laughs> um, we uh, are delighted that you're here. As Dave mentioned, we've been, been really anticipating what God is going to do in and through you all, this place. And so, so thanks uh, for starting, launching off the semester today. Uh, thank you for sitting in, in the, the chair closet and in the gray room and in the wood room and downstairs. Can, Y'all just kind of give a shout out. The, the, the chair room people, hello? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, wood room people? Yeah, okay. Uh, gray room people over here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Only two people just said anything. Yeah. Downstairs, how are we? Yeah, there we go, there we go. They had all the coffee and donuts downstairs, so. Uh, my name's Rob. I'm one of the staff here, one of the pastors, and uh, I, I want to start off this semester really talking about hope, and hope is going to, to frame uh, several of our conversations over the next few weeks, and so I want to have you give, give you a chance to say hello to one another, uh, if you haven't done that yet, and um, could you ask this question, kind of, hello, my name is, and then uh, what do you hope for? What do you hope for, for for this year, for this semester? Okay, so answer that in just a few words and go. Okay, thanks for doing that. Would, would a couple of you be willing to share, what, what are you hoping for for this semester? Just kind of yell it out there. Good GPA. Yeah. Yeah, you, absolutely. <laughs> okay. AC, yes. <laughs> Lord, please give us AC. This is, a, this is a hopeful time of year. It feels like a clean slate, you know, lots of potential, and, you know, 
February and winter is coming, but, but not now, obviously. And, uh, and so uh, this, is a, this is an optimistic time. You know, the, the, the sky is, you know, it, it's, it's blue skies. It's, it's like we are anticipating with lots of hope when we can hope for lots of things. We hope that it doesn't rain tomorrow. We, we hope that uh, the preacher doesn't get long-winded today. And, you know, we hope that, um, that there is uh, a winning season for Purdue this year. <laughs> Boiler up. Um, you, can, you can hope that uh, you get a 4.0 this semester, and you can hope to graduate at the top of your class and get accepted to the grad school of your choice, and then you get the dream job and meet the, dream, the love of your life and get married exactly three years later after you've had a, a plethora of adventures and seen the world, then you will have two children exactly two years apart, the boy first and then the girl. <laughs> you hope to live in a 1920s bungalow with a white picket fence, uh, modest yet cool, and a Subaru outback in the, the driveway. You hope to be part of an, of an awesome church and to volunteer weekly and have dinner parties with your friends and neighbor on that harvest table in the backyard under the Edison light bulbs. You hope to do something great with your life. That's a very specific kind of hope. It's a very, very big hope. For others of you, you're just hoping to get through the next two months without having to do laundry. You know, the, the bar is, is quite a bit lower there. Actually, I went to school with a guy who didn't do laundry the entire semester. Yeah, he, he kept going to Walmart and buying new underwear. And so, don't do that. People hope for and put their hope in all kinds of things. And what is true that inevitably most of those things fail to really deliver. If you like soccer, how many of you like soccer, football? How many of you watch FIFA? Yeah, three of you. Okay. Um, <laughs> this was the, the summer for the, the FIFA tournament. And our neighbor is from Argentina. And I don't know if you know anything about Argentina uh, football, but it's kind of a big deal. They have Messi and, you know, they're expected to win every year. And we were talking to him out on the street, and he said something really interesting. He said, Argentinians are strange people. We hope, even though there seems to be no reason to hope, each year we relentlessly hope in our team, and each year we're terribly disappointed. <laughs> and we seem to be surprised about it. Essentially, it would be better if we didn't hope at all. And my friend Juan is a very funny guy, and he's being funny, but he also is kind of painting this picture of what is very, very true. There is an epidemic of hopelessness. There is this existential crisis that dominates the landscape of humanity. It's been around a while. Nearly 2,500 years ago, Sophocles wrote this. It is best to not be born at all. And the second best is to die at birth. Well, that's fun, right? Standing in contrast to this, this pervasive existential despair is a tenacious living hope of the gospel. Each year we try to connect um, 
a theme verse of scripture to frame everything that we want to be about as a church. So this year, it comes from 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Living hope. Kylan, our graphic artist on our staff, created this artwork for this idea. And uh, there's a stream that has been flowing. And this, this stream is this stream of grace that has been flowing since the foundation of the world through history. And, and, and now through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, there's this, this deluge of salvation and cleansing that now has this, this ripple effect throughout your life and throughout this campus and throughout the world and throughout eternity. We have this living hope. Unlike the football team in Argentina, Paul says, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. Peter's letter has a, has a ton to say about how this, this hope gets lived out in every part of our lives, specifically when that life includes suffering and hardship. So we want to devote the whole semester to this letter. We want to read it and study it together, and we, more importantly, even want to let it read us and shape us. Peter, if you don't know who that is, he was one of the original disciples of Jesus, an apprentice of Jesus. He walked with Jesus for three years. He witnessed the death and resurrection of Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 2, we read about the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles. Jesus has returned to the Father, and he says, I'm going to send this Holy Spirit, this, my, my presence, my power to you. And Peter goes out on the street and he preaches a sermon and 3,000 people become Christians and the church is launched. Then 30 years later, he writes this letter to the churches that were scattered throughout this part that is modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. And these churches were made up mostly of Gentile converts to Christianity, but they were living in the midst of a culture that it was really hard to be a Christian. They were catching it from all sides. They were catching animosity at work and from unbelieving spouse at home. And every, every sector of society was against them and marginalizing them. And soon that kind of skepticism and animosity will, will turn to violence and to hatred and to persecution. In fact, Paul, I mean, Peter, Peter's writing this. Peter is writing this letter from Rome, where he will be martyred because of his faith. And so the purpose of this letter is to encourage the readers, encourage the church to grow in their faith, in, in their obedience to Jesus, to Jesus throughout their lives, but especially when they suffer and go through hardship because of their faith and obedience to Jesus. So this morning, we're going to read the first 13 verses. And we want to hear it from their perspective, but we also want to realize that the, the word of God is living and active and that it reads us and that everybody in every place, in every generation, this is God's word to, to us. Okay? I know I pray. Let me pray again. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you that 
by your spirit, you teach us and you encourage us and you, uh, you convict us and you stretch us to be more like Jesus. And that's, that's our desire today. Thank you that you make up what I lack and that you, uh, even in the midst of pervasive heat, <laughs> bring the coolness of life. And so I pray that today, God, just would you do your work among us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, First Peter, if you have a Bible, if you want to turn there, feel free. Uh, I'll also have this up on the screen. First, we just want to read it as the, the original people would have read it, right? Peter, an, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Uh, when, uh, before we had kids, we, Leah and I, my wife, used to, to do a church camp with junior high kids, which, uh, you know, you, you would think that would feel a bit like what hell might be like someday. <laughs> but it was actually really fun. And what made it fun is that the guy in charge you know, a lot of camps that I've been to had a bunch of rules. And so I was like, oh, seriously? I thought this was supposed to be fun. But this guy had two rules. And the two rules were remember who you are and remember where you are. So anything that went on came back to remember who you are and remember where you are. And essentially, that is what Peter is saying to the church. Remember who you are and remember where you are. You are chosen exiles. And that phrase speaks both to their identity and their geography. Peter addresses them as exiles, not because they were forced out of their homes necessarily, but that their true citizenship wasn't where they camped. That they were primarily citizens of God's kingdom. And he says that they are chosen. In fact, the three persons of the Trinity all, are all represented in verse 2. They were chosen by the Father. They're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And they are sanctified for obedience through the blood of Jesus. Chosen by the, the foreknowledge of God. That describes the fact that before the world was even created, that God knew them. That God is this loving Father who took the initiative even before we're aware of it. Being chosen didn't mean that they were all better than everybody, didn't mean that they were more pious than everybody. It meant that they had been called to be a distinctive community with a singular mission, and that was to live for the glory of Jesus. Chosen meant that they belonged, that they had purpose. And so Peter says, may grace and peace be yours in abundance. This is the reality of your identity as Jesus' people. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 
This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. He says, through the mercy of God displayed on the cross and the resurrection, Jesus put death to death. He's brought us into a living hope. And listen to this, that living hope has both a present reality and a future promise. For the church in Asia, the present reality was that whatever they were going through, whatever hardship, whatever suffering, whatever conflict or rejection, specifically because of their commitment to follow Jesus, that everything, their, their identity and their purpose and their future was seen through the lens of the resurrection. And that brought something totally different. It brought comfort and it brought encouragement and it brought this fuller perspective than just what they were going through because what they were going through was really hard. You know what that's like, right? It's like when you're in the middle of something really difficult, it's almost like all you can see is this thing. And so for, for believers, the living hope of Jesus just opens up our eyes and our perspective to something that, to the reality that there's something a whole lot bigger going on. Along with that, it means that through God's grace, we've been given a new name and a new family, but also an inheritance that can't spoil or perish or fade or be corrupted or lose its beauty or glory. It can't be taken away because God is keeping it safe. And that happens through the believer's faith. And so in this, he says in verse 6, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. And these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. So there's this joy and this, this future hope, but there's also grief in present suffering. The Bible's really honest with us. Peter writes, in this you continue to rejoice, even though you've had to, you've had to suffer in all kinds of ways. He says that faith actually gets refined in the fire of suffering. It gets shown for what it really is. So verse 8, though you've not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end of your faith, the, the result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then he wraps up with this, verse 10. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who preach the gospel, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So this is this tie back into the Old Testament, that this living hope has been the thread all the way through from generation to generation. This is what the prophets talked about, that Jesus was coming, that, that Jesus would suffer and die in order to redeem all of humanity. This is what the angels long to look at. This is, this is everything boils down to the resurrection and the cross of Jesus. 
The cross didn't just unfortunately happen to Jesus. He wasn't in the wrong place at the wrong time. This is the plan. This is how humanity gets rescued. Isaiah 53. Isaiah talks about Jesus as the suffering servant, trading places with us, taking on our sin, taking on the punishment that was coming our way. Romans 8 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. So here's this. My glasses keep falling off my nose. Here's this run-on sentence. This 11 verse, 11 of the 13 verses is just one run-on sentence in the Greek. So here we are. A couple thousand years later, completely different space and time, completely different uh, language, social, political climate. Here we are at the, the geographical center of Purdue's campus in this ugly mushroom building, the day before classes start. If we are Jesus followers, then we also are chosen exiles who have a living hope. What was true of them is true of us. I, you, we are chosen exiles who have a living hope. Can you just say that? Say, I am a chosen exile who has a living hope. I am a chosen exile who has a living hope. So what does that mean? What implications does that have for your every day, for the school year? What's that, what's that mean to you? First of all, you are chosen. One of the things I hated most about growing up is when sides would be chosen for like a, a basketball game or a softball game or a kickball game or dodgeball, you know? I hated that. I don't know if this is like it, the way it was in your school or not, but, or a playground or whatever you were. But all the kids would line up across the field, and then there were two captains, usually the best athletes, and then they would one by one select who they wanted for their team. And there was so much fear, A, that you wouldn't be selected, or that if you were chosen, where you would be chosen in line, right? So I, 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 I would just, hello? I would just come into that with this, uh, this fear, but all this, also this empathy, you know? If I didn't get chosen last, then I felt a lot of empathy for those who were. Peter flips that around. He says, you, all you all, were chosen. God the Father, the one who created the universe and has complete sovereignty, he, he knew you. He knew us before the creation of the world. We were created in his image. He loves and delights simply because he does, not because of anything that we have earned or accomplished or anything that we have done even against him. He simply loves us. 
Jesus, the servant king, traded his life for ours. He took on our sin and shame. He rescued us through the cross and the resurrection so that we can have eternal inheritance and true life. The Holy Spirit loves you so much that he continually chips away anything that doesn't look like Jesus. He sanctifies. He consecrates. He reminds us who we are in Christ. We've been given a new identity. We've been given a new family. We've been given a new citizenship. We've been given a living hope in you belong. The essence of the gospel is that you belong. Say, I belong. belong. Yeah, you do. This means two things for us. We must continually be reminded of the gospel so that we can live out the gospel in every strata of our lives. We must be in the Word. We must be in prayer. We must be in relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We must have a life of worship. The second thing, besides we must continually be reminded of the gospel, is that we must be continually in community with other believers. By belonging to the King, we by proxy belong to His people. There is no such thing as an autonomous, self-sufficient Christian. We are called to get together, not just to get our Sunday fix and not just to check it off the list and not just to make our folks happy. We are called together to be the body of Christ. We don't go to church. We are the church. We are chosen. And we are exiles. Another word for exiles is sojourner or resident alien. What Peter is saying is that if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are called to be an outlier who works for the transformation of your present zip code while having your ultimate citizenship and loyalty in a different kingdom. I like that so much. I'm going to say it again. If you are a Jesus follower, you're called to be an outlier who works for the transformation of your present zip code while having your citizenship and your loyalty and your heart in a different kingdom. That means two things. The first thing is that there's a personal cost to that. Faith inevitably, inevitably brings the Christian in conflict with the values and the priorities of the culture and the campus to which they live. And that conflict, Peter says, causes them to suffer grief in various kinds of trials, not in spite of being Christians, but be precisely because they are Christians. Now, the caveat to that is that Christians have done some and said some really stupid things. So sometimes whatever suffering or whatever trials come, comes from stupidity. So let's just set that aside. Let's don't be those people. But the fact that your, your loyalty is to Jesus, that your commitment is to Jesus, is inevitably going to bring conflict. I don't know if anybody's ever told you that. So why not start the year with that, right? Here's what it means. Well, first of all, let me just acknowledge we want to skip that part. 
The great theologian Kelly Clarkson said, God will never give you anything you can't handle, so don't stress. Which sounds good, but it's not true. The promise is not a comfortable life. The promise is that the king of the universe walks with you, abides with you, loves you, and will never let you Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of what? Yeah, that sounds fun. What's the promise? You are with me. 2 Corinthians 12, God's promise is, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. So Paul says, I'm going to boast about my weakness. We spent several weeks looking at the book of Job last spring, which boils down to the fact that experiencing grief and joy simultaneously actually is the norm for the people of God. In every generation, suffering has been falsely associated with God's absence or God's anger or God's apathy. But through this letter and through the whole of Scripture and through the whole life of Jesus, we see something completely different, this profound truth that in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship and oppression because of the name of Jesus, that faith and hope can actually grow and flourish. In fact, sometimes that's the only time it does. I love it when everything is going smoothly and the sun is always shining and things are clicking. I love those days. I pray for those days. There's nothing wrong with praying for those days. But you know when my faith has really kind of gotten real? It's in the midst of hard stuff. So I don't... I don't want to push away the hard stuff simply because it's not comfortable. I want to see how Jesus is working in the middle of it. His promise is that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He is with you. So we have this living hope. Where do you put your hope? Let me say two more things about it, just because why not? Sometimes maybe we don't feel like we're in exile. I, I had a conversation with a grad student who I knew was working. He's, doing, he's in a department that's really, really difficult, kind of known for being brutal toward Christians. And so I was talking to him one day, and I said, how's that going? You know, are, are, you, are you hanging in there? And he goes, uh, it's no big deal. I said, really? Because I, I kind of said, he said, I, I, I kind of keep that part secret. Which I get, and I'm not, I'm not judging him in that. But if we're called to be chosen exiles, then Jesus said, you are the salt. You are the light. You are reflecting me, he says, in how you live. 
And so sometimes if, if we're not feeling conflict, <laughs> if we're not feeling conflict, if, if we're not feeling any tension, it's, maybe it's that we've put our hope in things of the world instead of the things of God, you know? And I don't, I'm not, I'm not saying that like in this judgmental, you know, convicting way. I'm saying that to me. I'm saying that to me. The other thing I want to say is that sometimes we're, we're tempted to create our own exile. We, we, we isolate ourselves or, or we numb ourselves with, with things like pornography or we put ourselves in, uh, into our, our studies so much or we, we want to create this, this bubble, this safe bubble, this safe haven of, of our Christianity so that the world can't touch us. And the problem with that is that Jesus said that's not the way it goes. It's not the way of Jesus, which leads to the second thing. There's a, there's a personal cost, but there is also a distinctive way to be in exile that reflects whole life discipleship. How, how we leverage our time and our influence and our relationships and our work for the glory of Jesus in his kingdom, how we do that matters. Jesus said, be in the world, but not of it. Peter picks up on Jesus' lead. He says, the call is not to withdraw from society and, and not to assimilate in such a way that there's nothing distinctive about you, but rather to love in the name of Jesus, to engage and, and even to shape and transform culture while staying true to and connected to your true calling and your identity in Christ. Jeremiah 29 is written to exiles. It says, Pray for the flourishing of your city. Work toward watching your zip code thrive. What does it mean to be chosen exiles in the classroom and with your roommates or in one of the thousand student organizations that are vying for your participation. There are, are places where it's really difficult to prove yourself. You know, if you're in athletics, or if you're in Purdue Engineering, or if you're in student council, or if you're in a fraternity or sorority or co-op house, those are places where it's really difficult to prove your worth, to prove your identity. So let me just ask this question. If you are a chosen exile, what will it look like to go into that house or that team or that major or that club as a chosen exile? Where's your hope? Where's your identity? Are, are we putting our hope in a system or are we putting our hope in Jesus? Again, he doesn't call us to sequester ourselves from the world. He calls us to actually engage in his name. Do you want Jesus to come along for your plans, or, or will you give him the reins? Why is God calling you into this particular place? 
What is God up to in and through you in that place? So Peter's describing this, this vertical and horizontal dimension to our identity as Jesus followers. We've been, we've been chosen, we've been sanctified, we've been cleansed by the Father's Spirit in, the, in Jesus. We've been given a new life, we've been given a new family. We are sojourners and exiles. And so what do we do with that? How does that translate to every single part of your life? Where will you put your effort? What will you spend your time on? Where will you put your confidence? Well, all of those are questions that we just want to keep asking throughout this whole semester. Man, it is, a, it is an awesome calling, you know. I heard one person say that we can be the lead part in our own story, or we can have a bit part in God's cosmic story. I want the latter, man. I want to be a part of what he's doing. I want to do it with his people. I don't want to compartmentalize my life and so that I, I have all of this fractured life. I want everything to be devoted to him. So here we are. Eyes fixed on Jesus, working out the kingdom in every detail of our lives. We, we can't do that in isolation. And, and so what, is what was true of the church in AD 63 is, is true of us as well. And that is we have this, this rhythm of coming in and going out. I don't, know, I don't know if you saw the doors in the lobby, all the wooden doors. Those are from the original campus house back in this ministry was started by six students back in the 60s. And there was a house that's been torn down that, that we started in. And all of those doors are from that house. But they serve as this awesome metaphor that we want to have lots of doorways for people to come in. This isn't this exclusive club. This is, this is, this is there's a place at the table for everybody. We also want to have lots of doors out to our campus and into our community. And so that's the rhythm that we come together and we go out, that we are changed by the spirit of Jesus from the inside out and that that always has an effect on everything that we do. So we need to get together to encourage one another and to worship and to pray together and to be in the word together. And we need to go out to serve and to be salt and light and to reflect Jesus. So I'm inviting you to be part of that community that comes together and goes out, that comes together and goes out. That is so vital. That is so important. I actually, I, I want to take a couple of minutes just to give you a chance to connect with that, okay? I, I uh, can you, can, oh, man, you're good. He like, he's in my head. He's like, I think something, and he makes it happen. This is, uh, this is the way for, for you to connect with this ministry, and so we're going to take three or four minutes here just to 
lets you open up your phone and go ahead and, and sign up. And here's, here's why. Because um, when, when, you, when you sign up, what you'll see is, you know, you put all your information there. But there's a, there's a way for you to sign up for a community group. And those are groups of six to eight guys and, and women that get together every week to do life together and, and to be for each other and to be in the, in the Gospel of John together this year. And those are, that's kind of where church happens. You know, I, I love when, when, I don't know, 800 plus people come on a Sunday morning, but, but real conversation and real discussion and real encouragement happens in those small groups. And so we, in, we invite you to be a part of a community group. There's also lots of ways for you to serve in the house. And, and downstairs, we have lots of ways for you to serve in the community and, and on campus. And so, um, so I want to give you a couple minutes just to fill that out. And uh, um, what happens then is that uh, once you fill that out, then... Um, you'll get an email from us saying, thanks, we're excited that you're a part of this community. You'll get, uh, uh, there's a little incentive there that you'll get a coupon from, from our coffee shop called Gray House. And, uh, but then you'll, you'll get a, a weekly email from us just saying, this is what our community is doing together. And uh, we invite you to be a part of that and bring all your friends to it. If you uh, want to just put your info in and, and get that weekly email and you want to hold off on signing up for a community group, that's okay. You can do that later. You can, you can edit your profile however you want to do it later. Um, we encourage, I mean, there's a, there are a ton of people. How many of you were at the Get Involved Fair yesterday? Okay. So there's like, literally a thousand groups saying, sign up for this, sign up for this. And so sometimes you just get in the habit of just signing stuff up, right? Really want you, if, if you sign up for a community group, um, really come to that, okay? So if you, if you want to just wait and, and kind of pray through that, that's totally fine. Um, even if you have been here for four years, still sign up. We, we uh, start, all, start over every summer. Please do that. So we'll take another couple minutes to give you some time to do that. And then we'll, I want to, thanks for doing that. A couple other things just to, to help uh, equip us in, in some other places where we come together. Thursday nights, we have a thing called Align. And it's at 7.30 on Thursdays for an hour. And it is, it is designated just for a time of equipping. This, this week, I'm just going to give like a big vision. This is where we're going for the whole year. So we just invite you to that. And then the next week, Purdue has a football game, first Thursday ever. And so we're going to have a tailgate that night. But then we're going to just launch into, um, you know, what is our salvation really for? And we're going to spend five weeks on the Great Commission. And so that's a and faith and work, and lots of, lots of really good things. It's all discussion-based, and so we invite you to that. Um, we also, we have retreats, and we have, I mean, there's just a scat of things. And so, actually, if you want to download the app, the PCCH app uh, is really helpful, because you can 
You can find out what's going on at Campus House. You can also, uh, this is stuff that I would like prayer about, and then uh, we, we, we divvy that up and pray over those things. And so um, lots, of, lots of doorways, okay? Uh, the other thing I wanted to say, if you want to put the staff picture up, um, this is, our, this is our, our pastoral staff, and we, we're just here to be available to you all. And uh, I love our team, and they are so dedicated to Jesus. And, and so um, get to know them. And uh, the associate, ca- associate campus ministers on the bottom there, those are uh, two-year positions. They're, these are folks that have graduated from college and have stuck around two more years raising their own support so that they can just pour into you. And so, uh, so get to know them. You, you'll also see some people around with a volunteer um, tag. And those are a lot of our student leaders. And so if you have any questions about anything, just feel free to ask. And we'll have some time up here afterwards, every service, just to pray for you if you, if you need some prayer about something going on in your life. Okay. All right. Let me wrap up with this. Let's come back to where's our hope? Where's our confidence? Where's our confidence? And, and what does it look like to let that frame everything in our lives. I, I just, I just I want to leave you with that because that's not something that you answer in the moment. That's something that you, you work out the implications of day in and day out. When you wake up tomorrow, tomorrow morning, you go to class, you go to work. What does that living hope mean? What if, what if every decision and every thought and every action and how we view God and how we view ourselves and how we view friendships and work and emotions and dating and the world, what if everything was through the lens of living hope that is anchored to the resurrection of Jesus? What kind of confidence would that give us day in and day out? How would that reframe everything? Here's the last verse of the run-on sentence. Verse 13. Therefore, in light of the fact that you are chosen exiles, people of the living hope, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. No matter what your goals are for your life and for your academics, whatever, whatever vision and hope that you have for your future, if all of that is centered on Jesus and his lordship, that will not disappoint Every other hope in some form or fashion will let you down, but he will never, ever, ever let you down. So, can we go in the grace of Jesus? Our eyes fixed on him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross in its shame, sat down at the right hand of God so that we can be included and belong to him.